Please stand. <clears throat> Be reading from Genesis 3, 1 through 3. <clears throat> now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening, we looked at the beginning of everything as we noticed that this is the beginning of the year 2021. And this week, as we progress just about one chapter, we want to look at the idea of the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end happens at the very beginning, almost, of the written word of God. As you and I know, the word Genesis means beginning, and, and all things that begin happen in this book. Matter of fact, time begins in this book. Humanity begins in this book. The promise to us for the coming Christ begins in this book. The promise to us of the church begins in this book. The nation of Israel as, a, as the chosen ones of God begin in this book. All of those things beginning here help us to understand how God brings the church to fruition. The book that you hold in your lap, not just Genesis, but that whole entire Bible, is based on two things and two things only. This is going to be real easy. You ready? Jesus and His church. It all revolves around that. First revolves around the coming of Christ. And then when he gets here, it revolves around him being here. And then when he leaves, it revolves around him coming back. It also revolves around his church. How is God going to save mankind from the end that we're going to read about tonight? Where he blatantly looks in the face of God and says, Your word's not worth following. It's through the church. And as you and I begin to, to flip these pages and begin to read through God's Word with that understanding, then we begin to see the blood of Jesus Christ drip from every single letter. We see Jesus in everything and throughout this entirety of Genesis and throughout the entirety of the Bible. It doesn't take long for us to get to Genesis chapter 3 from the creation, does it? You say, well, no, preacher, it's really just one chapter over. And I would contend with you, it ain't, that, it ain't that long of a time period. You see, because Satan is really good at his job, and he's really thorough at what he does, and it's not going to take him long to begin to tempt and eventually have the only two people of this world commit sin. Notice this, the original couple, as they are created by God, live in a place called paradise. Genesis chapter 2, verses 9 and verse 13 should be there. He lives in a place of paradise. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and also in chapter 3. It's a, it's a place that is perfect. 
you and I look at our world and perhaps we say about our hometown, it's the best place to be from. Listen, as God creates throughout that six days of creation and stops on day seven, after every single day, he makes this statement. It is good. 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 And then on day six, creating all of those things and having the ability then to stop this is, what he ma- this is the statement he makes about the creation that he has. It is very good. Adam and Eve lived in perfection and would have stayed there had they not messed it up. It is the fact that the tree of life was in that garden. As a matter of fact, she'll mention it. This was the tree that would help those beings stay immortal. It was removed and taken in Revelation 22 and verse 2 into heaven. That is, that is our only place of immortality uh, or eternity as we would see it. We're not destined to live here on this earth forever. So as you and I begin to look at Genesis chapter 3, notice what happens. Beginning in verse number 4, since Drake read so well for us, the first three, and the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you'll be as gods, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and she did eat, and she gave to her husband, with her, he did eat. The eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. And then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. And God said, Where are you, Adam? For an interesting side study, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 and verse number 13, he asks that same question to Elijah. And it's phrased a little bit different there, but it's the same question. Where are you? What are you doing here? Do you even know where you are? And he said, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid myself. I was naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you been eating of that tree? And then Adam immediately goes into uh, saving himself mode. Well, you know, it was that lady you gave me. And then she said, well, you know, I was tempted by Satan. You know, both of those answers are correct. Adam did eat because she gave it to him. And she did eat because she was tempted. Neither one of those make it right. Listen, if you don't get anything else tonight, pay attention right here. When Satan gets us to begin to trivialize what sin is, when he begins to get us to laugh about it, or to snicker at it, or to... 
maybe not say out loud, but think in our minds. It's not that bad. I'm not as bad as. When that happens, he's got us. When we begin to trivialize what God has said about sin, Satan wins and he has won handily. It's not the job of Satan to have us say, I don't believe in God any kind of way. I'm not going to do anything he says. All Satan needs us to do is just change one or two things. Just, just maneuver through a little bit of things. Just change God's Word a little bit. Now, you go on the interwebs and the googly-googlies and check this out. But rat poison's 99% corn. And it'll kill you dead. Just to change just a piece of God's Word. I don't have that authority, nor do I have that right. To change how God would see about, or how He would speak about, and, and how He would see sin, I don't have that right. And it is in this chapter He flaunts that. Did God indeed say, you're going to die? Here in chapter 3, you're going to see the end of the spouses. In chapter 1, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, you see the law that was given. Notice it once again. Ye shall not eat, or God said, uh, or Satan said to the woman, shall you not eat of every tree of the garden? And she said... We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. Notice this. This is one specific tree right in the middle. Don't eat it. There has been great debate over did God say don't eat it or don't touch it? Or was that just a family rule instated by Adam? I don't know. I do know this. If you don't touch it, you can't eat it, and that's a pretty good rule. You shall not surely die. Verse 3, don't eat it, don't touch it, lest you die. As a matter of fact, literally in the Hebrew tongue, it says, dying you shall die. You're going to die twice. Really, how's that? They're going to begin a process of dying physically. Yes, they're no longer going to have access to that tree. But brethren, soon as their lips and teeth pierced that fruit, they were D-E-A-D, dead. The physical was happening as they didn't have access, but when they, when they ate that fruit, they were spiritually dead. They were dead. They had violated God's law. All for a fruit, huh? No. It's not all over fruit. That is exactly where Satan began the trivialization of God's law. Oh, you can have every fruit except for this fruit. What's wrong with that fruit? Why can't you have that fruit? It's not about fruit. It is about Will I do what God says to do, or will I not? 
And because they decided not to do it, it is their demise. Chapter 3, we see the end of the spouses. They ended because there was not a proper role. Who did Satan speak to? Spoke to Eve. I want to tell you what the Bible says, and I know it's not very popular, um, but the Bible doesn't win very many popularity contests. Men act like men, lead the house. That's your job. Ladies, you very lovely, lovely people, listen to what they say because ultimately they're going to have to give an answer of what happens in that house. The roles were reversed at this time. Whether it was because Adam was not around or Adam chose not to be around, the first person that, that Satan came to was the one who didn't have a right to make a decision for the family in the first place. What kind of decision did she make? Not to say Adam would be any better. Why is that? Well, she gave him the fruit and he ate it. But that was his decision. It was the end of the proper roles. Roles had been reversed. It was the end of their physical blessings. All of those things that were provided to them physically in this garden were gone now. Why? Because they are now enemies of the state to God. As a matter of fact, there are only two people on this earth. And on his list, he has enemies, Adam and Eve. Oh, maybe not enemies. As he still loves them. Still wants the best for them. But notice this. He will not change what is righteous and holy to fit unholy man. He has always required that unholy man change to righteous and holy before God. It's the end of that access to that tree of life. That opportunity to stay in God's presence forever. Now they don't have it. And ultimately, out of all of those things, we find an end to the spiritual closeness that Adam and Eve, just one chapter earlier, had. Just one day earlier, had. Perhaps even just one hour earlier. The closeness that they had is now gone. Because of what they chose. Now we could, we could spend time and wax a sizable elephant with the idea of the freedom of choice. God has instilled the freedom of choice to us all. And you and I always make the right decisions, don't we? Yeah, neither did they. 
I don't know how many times Adam and Eve made a wrong choice. But I do know this. The very first one has been written down and studied for 6,000 years. Would you like for yours to be written down? Would you like for mine to be written down? No. Aren't you glad you're not Adam and Eve? They lost a closeness to God. As a matter of fact, he's going to ask them in verse number 9. Where are you? And I think he's speaking to them as a collective and underneath a family name when he says, Adam, where are you? Anybody know Adam's last name? So what name did she take when they were married? Perhaps it's a family name. Perhaps it's not. If it's not, then he's speaking to them in the roles that they should have had. Adam, where are y'all at? Understand this, when God asks questions, He never asks them for information. As if He doesn't know where they are physically, as if He could not pinpoint them out exactly. God asks those questions for contemplation. It's for Adam's benefit that He asks that question. Adam, where are you? I know where you were. But now... Seems to be a great gulf between us. Where are you? In this chapter, we see the end of a Savior. You look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, it'll tell us about how God's plan was set in motion even before time existed. Even before God said, let there be light, there was God's plan. It is in Galatians chapter 4, and verses number 4 and 5 that we find that uh, that plan had to have a beginning and so it had to have an end also. What we'll read there is, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made of the law, to redeem us as sons. As a matter of fact, it'll go on to say we will be joint heirs with Jesus the Christ. But in order for that end to come, there had to be the beginning of that end. And the beginning of that ends found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. We've looked at this several times, but I'd like for you to look at it one more time. This is the first time Jesus has been foretold of in the Old Testament. This is the first uh, mentioning of the Messiah who is to come. This is what those men and women who have studied through and have all those PhDs in theology would call the... You can, you can have a, a fancy word right here. You ready? Proto-evangelic. You know what that means? First mention of Jesus. You ready? Here we go. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Stop right there. There are a lot of information that we find out about this coming Jesus in just verse 15. First, we find out that he's going to be born of a woman without the aid of a man. How do you know that? Simple biology class. If I remember biology 101 from the or biology ninth grade and in the ninth grade, 
I remember that every animal on earth, the female animal holds an egg. The male animal holds a seed. And that's not any different with people. You say, what does this have to do with anything, preacher? There's a phrase in here called the seed of woman. It's biologically impossible. God is giving us a glimpse of the virgin birth of Jesus the Christ. We're going to see that he's going to fight the enemy, that he's going to put an enemy stature between us and, and him. There's going to be some, someone he's going to fight. Who would that be? Be the one who is trying to drag us down and drag us down and drag us down. And then we are told even further that it's only going to be, uh, those into consideration are only going to be male. Notice this. And thou shalt bruise. What's that word? His heel. Now, I don't know if you know anything about pronouns, but his is masculine. Always is. Always will be. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, we see the very first mention of this Messiah, but we see very detailed things about this Messiah who is coming. God will reveal him uh, throughout the Old Testament time and time and time again, and will begin to unravel this Messiah till he is just transparent and we can be able to see him in all of his glory. With the end of the Savior... We find the end of sin. So we have the end of some spouses, the end of the Savior. We have the end of sin. This sin came into the world because Adam and Eve chose themselves over God. There's a promise of a coming Redeemer and that sin only has a limited amount of time to do all of its work. As a matter of fact, take your Bible and turn over to James chapter 1 and verse number 13. In James chapter 1, beginning in, in verse number 13, we're going to read this, that uh, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. There's only a certain amount of time that, that God would allow sin to do that particular work. And it is up until the coming of this Messiah. Oh, there were placeholders all along the way. There were sheep and... and, and uh, uh, heifers and all types of things that were, that were offered as placeholders all along the way. But not until that blood was shed on that cross outside of the gates in Jerusalem were all of those sins remitted, were all of those sins taken away. What we find out in Hebrews chapter 9, especially in verse number 22, that it, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You look one chapter over in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we find out that that new law, being better than that old law, is based solely around the sacrifice. That Old Testament law was not 
uh, fouled in, its, in the law itself, in the wording of the law. It fell short in sacrifice. All of those things happen and begin in Genesis chapter 3. You never knew that much stuff was in there, did you? The beginning of the end happens in Genesis chapter 3. Well, what happens if Genesis chapter 3 never happens? Well, if that's the case, then we all have an opportunity to live in paradise. Let's take ourselves a quick straw poll. This will be very unscientific, but we'll get the idea, hopefully. If Genesis chapter 3 never happened, if humanity had been sinless until you were born, would you have sinned and messed it up? If your answer is yes, raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know what? I'm going to change that word. Fortunately for us, unfortunately for God who knows all, the freedom of choice would cost him his son. And he knew it. Let that sink in for just a moment. He knew that before he said, let there be light. As you and I look at Genesis chapter 3, we see the end of the spouses. We see the end of a Savior. We see the end of sin, and it happened all in this one chapter. Because of the sin that happens, the Savior is sent. And roughly 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross. And still, the same amount of blood that was shed that day is still available for mankind to be washed clean. Let me ask you a question that would be asked in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Where are you? Where are you? Because ultimately, that's where, it, that's where the, the rubber meets the road is as I stand before God, I know where I am, and you know where you are. Is Jesus the authority of your life? Or is sin and pleasure the authority of your life? Because one of those things will be the authority, no matter how loudly we say the other is. Brother Marshall Keeble used to say it this way. We are to be fruit inspectors. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. We should be fruit inspectors. I know by the fruit of my life, and you know by the fruit of your life, if Jesus is in authority, or if you are. Tonight is the night to make those corrections. Now is the time for salvation. Because 
tomorrow very certainly could be too late. If it is the fact that you've never put on Christ in baptism, the easiest plan in the world is given by God to hear what He has to say and believe it. Repent of your sin, confess that Jesus is the Christ. Have your sins washed away in a pool of baptism. Be raised to walk in a newness of life. Be His child. And live in subjection to Him. Have you missed any of those? Are you living by all of those? If not, it's time for you to either become a member of God's church or to come back home. Let me encourage you to do that right now while we stand and we sing for your encouragement.